<coughs> Podcast Network Asia. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast, where we discuss all things Asia and all things tech in any order you would like. Today, I'm joined by Krishnan Subramanian, a co-founder and the president at Jiffy.ai, and Sangeeta Falgunan, the VP of Sales and Alliances for APAC at Jiffy.ai. Sangeeta and Chris, how are you both doing today? Doing well, thank you. Doing great, Michael. How about you? I am super. It's pouring where I am, but luckily I'm inside, so I am good. Let's give our listeners a bit of your backgrounds for context. Sangeeta, why don't you go first and then we'll go to Chris. Okay. Thank you, Michael. I try to make this brief, but basically I've spent about 20 odd years trying to sell all kinds of software products in the Indian and Asian market. I've led teams. I've taken to market some very interesting products right from the time we were moving into a three-tier architecture, products called as WebLogic, which is now with Oracle, testing products from Mercury, Serena Software, HP. So I've done a gamut of roles and taken a couple of products to market, built the strategy and the GTM and expansion and growth and things like that. So I've done it all, grounds up, hands on. And today I'm with Jiffy.ai leading their APAC sales and alliances. That's awesome. And Chris? Yeah, I've spent a couple of decades in the industry as well. I come from a software engineering background, so engineer at heart, and obviously have seen right from the mainframe days to modern applications. Been fortunate to work with a few large enterprises before getting into an entrepreneurial stint in both my companies. The first was more of being part of a startup, building it to scale, and now with Jiffy.ai, building something which we believe is transformational when it comes to enterprise digital transformation. I love doing things that take things which are small as an idea and then build it to scale. So that's what I love doing and I love technology. So excited about what we are doing here at Jiffy.ai. I'm always interested what it's like for somebody who had a corporate career And then kind of this entrepreneurial spirit bubbled out. Like, was it always there for you, Chris? Or was it something that just happened along the way? Yeah, I would assume it was always out there. So even in my first job as a graduate out of college, my first assignment was going into Europe, the Czech Republic precisely, and was instrumental in winning a project with a couple of years of experience for the company. So I think, you know, doing things, picking up challenges and trying to, you know, Prove it out there has been always part of what I did at different scales. And obviously being in a startup, being co-founding a startup obviously takes it to a different level. But yeah, I believe it's been always there. How about you, Sangeeta? I'm not sure if I had that kind of spirit. For me, it was always <laughs> important to have a nine to five job, but it's never been nine to five. But right. you know, I'm not a techie techie, but I think I always had this love towards technology. And uh, when I entered into the software domain. I found my comfort. I had some great mentors and uh, I had the opportunity to kind of um, take on challenges. And that's primarily what helped me. You know, most of the companies I worked with have primarily, I was either employee number one or number two. Right. So this was all about building the market and taking products to market, which I really, really enjoyed. It's exciting. And this didn't, while all of those companies grew into billion dollars and, you know, went public and did all of that. I think this stint with Jiffy again for me is an interesting one since that's the journey that I'd like to do all over again. I was going to say, it's good to have you around if you keep building billion dollar companies. 
you're hired. Perhaps. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I love but it. Asia has always been a very small contributor. You know, throughout, we were, we, I think we were about 3% to max about 12% is what I remember when we were, but when I was with PEA, that was way back in 2000. Right. right. So, Do you feel like that's changed, Sangeeta, over the last 20 years? In other words, 20 years ago, if you look at the market in Asia or and in Southeast Asia in particular, you would have considered it small. I mean, anything's going to look small compared to India, right? For sure. Right. But how do you look at it differently today from a sales perspective? The deal sizes and the buying power still resides with you know people who have the dollar, right? Whether right. it is the Australian dollar or whether it is the American dollar. But those are the countries that still contribute to a... I see that. I mean, but when you look at adoption of technology, where there are really engineers and technology folks, that's out there in the Southeast Asian markets, whether it is China, whether you look at India per se, all the technology folks, even in large companies, primarily come from this part of the world. Yeah, for sure. I was just curious how it's changed. And I think for me, I've been in Asia since 1990, and I've just seen a massive change in the focus on things that are going on in places like Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam. Thailand, even Singapore has changed radically in the past 20 years, right? Okay, let's get a sort of high level view. And maybe Chris, maybe you can do this on what exactly Jiffy.ai is, why it was founded and the problems it's trying to solve. That's interesting because, you know, we are a unique company. We are all about collectively doing something for the larger good. So we are a bunch of co-founders who came together. All of us have spent 20 to 25 years in the industry. My co-founder and CEO, Babu, has taken a couple of companies public. All of us have looked at the space of digital transformation. I mean, before we came with the idea that things has to be a lot more simplified, right? I mean, one of the basic thought process or philosophy behind enterprise applications was with the notion that humans would operate them, right? And we believe there has to be a lot more easier way of building autonomous applications. And the start to that is look at how we could use low code, no code to enable businesses to do transformation a lot more easier and a lot more independently, but in a collaborative manner. So Jiffy.ai is all about enabling that transformation in a large enterprise using technologies like low code, machine learning, AI to empower you know, the business users to innovate and automate around applications around them. So that's how a combination of frustration of what we have seen in the industry where things take ages to go go live and the vision that using AI and low code, there might be a way to kind of solve for it. So that's how Jiffy.ai came into existence. That's actually really fascinating. When I was at Goldman Sachs, right, we were rewriting essentially all of the trading and trade prep applications that we had. And I spent a ton of time with the software development teams to map out exactly what the process was so we could automate it and create scale. Are you saying that today, if somebody uses something like Jiffy, that, that somebody on the front desk could actually do that themselves by what, putting components together to do that? Partially, yes. So there are two, three levels of in an enterprise when you look at automation. One is how you know somebody at the front office can automate things on their own to enhance their own productivity. 
the second is how could you stitch multiple technologies right i mean one of the biggest challenges is bringing together multiple technologies in an enterprise landscape now how could you do that with low code no code and build something lot more sustainable reusable repeatable right because a lot of software that is written is written for an enterprise and never gets reused right so we are of the philosophy that we should be able to empower creation of those automation apps that not just benefits one customer and one set of users but can that be used globally across multiple customers to solve the same problem right. and provide the flexibility to do it the way they would love to do it okay so sangeeta maybe you can talk about this when you go into companies now when you try to go and sell products that jiffy makes what is the response you get particularly when it comes to this low code no code thing it's very new is it easy to convince people that this is a thing that they should do or is it hard I mean when you sell basically I don't know if going and trying to sell a technology is really a great idea I think what we need to do is to basically talk about what we can solve for them right I mean I think we need to basically identify some of the solutions or business problems or you know what do we need to finally achieve just talking about low code no code okay that's just an aspect of how you're going to build it out and how you're going to enable them to make this uh, faster and better right but i mean we don't really have those conversations around low code no code but we definitely talk about how we can solve for some of these problems in a faster and a, in a better way right and then the underlying technology beneath that and i think that today's if you look at the environment and what's happening today everybody wants quick solutions you know they want to solve their problems now they don't have time to wait for 6 months and a year to kind of build out this code test it and you know go live uh, which is what used to happen with earlier applications so if you had something either ready or something that you could build out quickly that's a conversation people really want to hear about I want to dig a little bit deeper with you Chris on this idea of extensibility and expandability and you mentioned before that people build this technology for one particular process and don't reuse it. Can you explain this concept of sort of reusability, extensibility and expandability for this type of product? Yeah, absolutely. So in fact, to follow up on what Sangeeta mentioned, right? Mm. So if you need to go and do things quicker and in an efficient manner, there has to be reusability thought through all along, right? So one is it's important for technology to be centralized with cloud adoption. Every enterprise is open or already embraced this. So why this is important is because wherever you are, right, you should be able to contribute to that application build. in a centralized manner while bringing in the power of individuals so that's important also a platform that allows this kind of development which is rapid using minimal technology needs to do that now the second aspect is again as sangeeta mentioned now we need to solve a problem right i mean technology can be great but what does it solve for you everybody has been talking about ai for the last 20 years right now i applying ai to a very operational use case is practical today it's commercially viable today so now how do you make it into something that's relevant for a business user who is say doing an account payable process or a customer onboarding process so in order to do that we should be able to create frameworks and applications that are not rigid the moment they get rigid you are always you not know, depend on change management right. at the same time is scalable right so that's what it is all about so we at gfi.ai have always looked at how whatever we build can be abstracted at a much more higher level than get into the code level so Uh, reusable components reusable configurations reusable frameworks in an easily configurable manner is what 
It's all about. So what is all this stuff written in? What we provide is a pretty robust platform. So that the platform underneath supports four or five distinct capabilities. So whether it is automation, where you need to either integrate through API and the new buzz around RPA, which is nothing but going through screens like a human would do, whether it is document understanding. So if you look at most of the business processes today, the biggest challenge of automating them using the traditional API digital method has been they are very unstructured and the moment gets data, data gets unstructured, you need some decision making to understand and process it. So document understanding and document extraction plays a big part of our platform. And then while we would love the process to be as straight through as possible, minimal human touch from an operational standpoint. There has to be some involvement for reviews, validations, etc. So a, a human in the loop, a workflow mechanism for routing approvals, etc. becomes critical. So you're looking at a BPM capability. And finally, while enterprise systems hold the system of records to automate a complex process, you are bringing together data from different applications, crunching it, and at some point of time, persist it. So a data layer with you know data processing, large volume data processing, and you know data visualization capability becomes important. So it's a combination of automation, document processing, machine learning, workflow, and analytics that we feel are required to build you know robust automation apps. That's what our platform caters to, and in a low code manner. So that means you don't have to write a lot of code to actually bring these capabilities together. I got it. And Sangeeta, what is it like when you talk to a potential client and they don't have their own sort of data infrastructure, you know, the back end already set up or set up in a way that's robust and scalable? Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of these companies today know they want to use data, know that data is important, but haven't really set up the proper data engineering so they can then do proper data analysis. Does that make sense? Yeah. From a technology perspective, I think we are still getting to a point where it's important and people understand what kind of data and where is the gold data, basically. And also multiple systems, data residing, the same kind of data residing in various formats, various types. Some of these problems we can definitely solve for, especially, but where we focus primarily, Michael, is in the operations side, right? So the back mm -hmm. office or the operations. So we try to bring the front end and the back end of these operations layer and we try to see how we can automate some of these processes in automation. So that's where we focus. And as part of that, if this data needs to be cleansed, if it needs to be transformed, if right. it needs to be put in order so that we and put all those validations, cross-check for those data and make sure that we're processing the right kind of data, that's something which the platform easily caters to. But I believe this understanding is very, very important for customers. You know, one part of it is, of course, transforming and doing these digital transformation, but looking at how your operations function uh, basically can be transformed with data as a key element, because then you can do prescriptive, you can do predictive, you can have a good sense of your business. There's so much you can do with the data, right? And that comes in only when some of these elements and most of these elements come together. Yeah, and layer on top of that all the data visualization that's possible. If you actually have clean data, it's things start Fair, to get really right. interesting. Do you want to know how I collaborate with some of the best brands in the world at Asia Tech Podcast? I use Podmetrics. This is the best way to connect to your favorite brands and monetize your podcast. If you are a podcaster, you can sign up now at podmetrics.co and use the referral code Asia Tech Podcast, all one word 
to get full control of your show's monetization, regardless of your show's size. And if you're a brand and want to collaborate with the Asia Tech Podcast, head over to advertiser.podmetrics.co, it's spelled like it sounds, and sign up now. Back to you, Chris. You know, we've been talking a lot about business process automation as well, but where does that fit into the sort of innovation cycle and how does that help spur on digital transformation from your perspective? We talked about two technology capabilities. One is low code and one is no code, right? Right. So uh, there is a big, big push from the traditional BPM players, the intelligent document processing, OCR companies, Mm -hmm. all of them to kind of bring intelligence into the process. Now, where our vision is to solve two problems. One is how do you automate what exists today? That's what all process automation efforts are towards. But more importantly, how do we enable the business to innovate on top of it, right? So end of the day, if you look at a lot of digital transformation projects, uh, to your earlier question as well, right? I mean, it's, it's all about aggregating, bringing data. You know, we're talking about one office, we're talking about one banking So it's all about how do you bring everything together so that the customer experience and your employee experience in terms of handling operations becomes easy. And, you know, it's a pleasure to deal with these applications than a bureaucratic process. So we believe innovation plays a key role and the industry has been struggling to innovate. Though while there has been a lot of technology improvements, a lot of process methodology improvements in terms of software development specifically, I still think it is dependent on software engineers to bring this up and then people to test it out and put it out there. So with the no-code capability of GFI, which we call at GFI.ai, innovate. What we are trying to do is to bring that power to the business user where you can have a very natural conversation with GFI and it will build the software for you, right? So that's the power where on the front, you're building new capabilities as you think, right? Your application is getting developed. And uh, to kind of bring all that together, the automate platform, which brings in all the data from the backend and integrates seamlessly. So power of innovation to the business user, the power of automation to the to the process itself. So that's where we see this going. Is this something that small companies can use as well? Or is this mainly for really large enterprises? Yes. So that's where we have this concept of a hyper app. Now, if you look at enterprise transformation, right? I mean, different organizations are at different stages. Right. I mean, the early technology adopters, the new businesses generally are digital from day one. Right. So they right. they have a different problem. Large enterprises have a lot of legacy at the back and a lot of cool, you know, front end roles. So they struggle, continue to struggle with integration. Now, if you look at the mid-size industries, I mean they are somewhere in between because you no, know, they can't afford some of the large enterprise applications, right? Be the ERPs or the CRMs. Now, what it means is that there is some compromise on functionality in many cases. So a platform like ours can enrich that enterprise experience where, you know, whether it is decision making, whether it is analytics, those things can be powered by a platform like this, where on top of existing technologies, which does a lot of the business processing logic, the user experience, whether it's the operational user or the end customer, that enrichment can be done by a platform like this. So that way it accelerates their ability to be as innovative as a large enterprise as well. So to answer your question, the short answer is yes. <laughs> the applicability of the use case could be different because you're not dealing with, you know, so if you go to a large manufacturing company, you're dealing with maybe 
3 million invoices to process. So there the focus is on, can I improve employee productivity? Whereas if you go to a mid-sized enterprise, the idea could be, can I manage my cash efficiently? Can I keep my vendors happy faster, etc.? So the technology applies, but the way it is applied might change depending on the size of the organization. Yeah. And also that, you know, for some of these mid-sized companies, it becomes very difficult for them to hire a partner or, you know, the resource of the finding the right kind of resources and the right kind of support uh, structure to kind of make them successful when they embark Mm. and buy this new technology and uh, try to go to market, which can be, again, anything between three to six months. I think that's, again, something that can be taken away because you do now have these hyper apps or these ready solutions, which they can just plug in and, you know, they can use it within, let's say, a three or four week time, right? So can we define again just what a hyper app is? Because I've got some very specific questions about use cases as well. A notion of a hyper app is an autonomous application that allows straight through processing in a business process. Now, maybe I I created a Wikipedia definition. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But but yeah. So basically, in layman's term, I'll take an example of, say, invoice processing, right? I mean, it looks very simple. Vendors send you invoices, right? As a business, you look at the invoices, pay the customer, right? So pay the vendor. Now, it isn't as simple as that because if you look at anywhere between a large enterprise to a small enterprise, the cost of processing of an invoice is anywhere in in some cases even up to $12 and it can come up to $2 per invoice, right? So now why is it that? Because different customers send data in different formats, right? Uh, Different currencies, different countries. Then you have different ERP systems where they need to be processed. You have different types of invoices. So it becomes extremely important in order to gain efficiency, both in terms of turnaround time, as well as, you know, processing costs. You need to handle these scenarios and you go to look at technology, what technology is behind it. You need to understand, extract data from documents, which are generally scanned, sometimes bad quality. You need to understand this data and then you need to process this data, right? So, but where the challenge is, right, if you go take this as a technology play and go to different enterprises and try to implement. Everybody is going to take six months, nine months to get it up and running, especially if you have 3,000, 4,000 suppliers sending you this data, whatever technology you use. So a hyper app allows you to use a pre-configured capability, right? So it sits somewhere between a point solution, which solves for a particular problem, but then it is rigid because it's only solves for it, right? If you need a a change to the way you want to process it, you need to customize it. And then you have a platform approach, which is completely, you know, greenfield. You start from scratch and build it ground up. Now, a hyper app sits somewhere in between where it provides the basic capability of a point solution and the flexibility of a platform. So you pick it, as Sangeeta mentioned, three to four weeks, make the changes that you need to get it up and running for your enterprise and be done with it. And the most important aspect, okay, you get a platform up and running, right? And A, you are at 80%, 85% straight through processing. It's not about OCR accuracy, document accuracy. Finally, can how much of my transactions go touchless? You get 85%. Then you start adding new vendors, new formats. In a normal scenario, what happens is that straight through process starts coming down. Now with a hyper app approach, there is some amount of self-learning that takes care of, you know, straight through automatically and ability to make changes on the fly. And that doesn't need technologists to do that. The business user has the ability to train new formats, make configuration changes based on the business. So you're empowering finally business users to kind of 
own their applications after you have the hyper app in place. So that's the difference between a hyper app, a point solution and a platform. Do you find, and either one of you can answer this question, but do you find that you do see a lot of sort of front facing people making those adjustments and making those amendments on the fly? In other words, can you see that happening in real time? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's one of the successes of whether you are a business user in a large enterprise or even if you are, say, a business process outsourcing organization whose focus has been predominantly on doing the manual work. Now, all these people are empowered with this hyper apps to kind of independently manage it themselves. So, yeah, so we have seen a big uptake for this hyper app concept because now you build once, deploy across multiple customers or multiple departments within an organization. And 80% of what you need to do on the platform can be managed by the front end business users. I really want to try this. I have some processes. I'm really curious about this. I have some processes that I do. It's maybe hard for you both to imagine this, but for every show that I do, meaning every episode that I do, I just have these sort of repetitive manual processes that I do. And I'm wondering if I can create a hyper app to be able to fix those processes. That's why I asked you earlier if small and medium-sized enterprises can actually do this. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So that's where being a cloud native platform with a true pass offering, right, where you you are paying for consumption changes the paradigm from this being a pure enterprise play to anybody with reasonably repetitive process can implement it and not worry about too much upfront investment in, in terms of cost. So yeah, absolutely. So maybe, you know, that should be the next pilot that we pick up Sangeeta for. You know, <laughs> I don't know. We'll probably have to find many more Michaels to go and sell to. <laughs> I'd love to that try this. A bigger challenge. <laughs> Building it out would be fast, but I guess we need to find many more Michaels. Exactly. There are very few Michaels, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, then there is no viability for this hyper app. So let's be clear. I understand. The last year has been difficult for so many reasons. And, you know, COVID's had a negative impact in so many ways, right? One of the things that has benefited, though, is this whole concept of digital transformation, which is one of the topics that we've already discussed today. Have you seen in the last year a major pickup in your own business? because people want to automate more of their processes or just have more of a desire and a demand for the products that you create? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we are a startup. We are small when it comes to sales, right? We don't have a large you know, field sales team across all countries that we serve. So it was a challenge the initial couple of months figuring out how do you go to market literally, sure. right? I mean, sure. But what we saw after the first quarter is there was a significant uptake and we grew close to 300% last year. So, and that's predominantly driven by the fact that a lot of enterprises accelerated their thoughts around digital transformation into reality. Now, uh, whether it is onboarding kind of use cases where physical visits were not allowed, whether it is document processing, right? I mean, even any area where there was a combination of digital, non-digital Right. People tended to lean towards how can I automate that? Uh, and there were certain places where, you know, mergers were happening. Some businesses were falling out. So some customer of ours started picking up more transactions to process. And the only way they could handle that was that. And we work with a few customers who actually have been impacted as an industry because of the pandemic, you know, whether it's travel, sure. whether it is transport, etc. But they also found technology to be refreshingly useful because they had to deal with 
a lot of crisis and a lot of transactions, a lot of customer interactions, whether it is cancellations, refunds, etc. Right, and automation came into the rescue because you know on one side you had challenge of you know the team size, and the other side you need to handle these requests. So, so specific industries definitely saw an uptake, and in general, we have seen you know a lot more rigor. and a lot more seriousness in which people look at this technology i don't know sangeeta you have anything else to add as well no no that's fine yeah that's right chris yes so gitty do you see an industry bias in other words from your from your sales part right do you see specific industries being much more interested in this or is it just across the board interest you know definitely there are specific industries that are primarily if i could say i think where we have been focused and where we are seeing traction is from the finance because i think managing cash has become a very critical aspect and if there was any way people could manage this better and have better visibility i think that's the area across industries that we are seeing a lot of interest yeah i feel like there should be a massive usage here massive use case yeah. excuse me for like the insurance businesses right. trading businesses and stuff like that right does that make and sense and also Go some ahead. of these large partners like these bpo organizations who provide mm-hmm. services for their clients i think they're always scouting for new tech new ways and how they could manage and provide better experience at a better cost some of them who have been engaged in building out their own platforms etc now looking at and there's a huge startup program and startup promoting startup ecosystems etc we're seeing right. a lot of interest from some of these companies as well yeah just to add to what singita said so the whole concept of information security i think took a beating in the last year i mean i'm saying this with some resp- definitely some responsibility but the whole concept of a you need to be processing data in a secured environment right i mean the whole notion of how you do that i think everybody was caught confused how to handle this especially with work from home and right. unable to go to offices and things like that so that accelerated the way outsourcing is looked at right rather than looking at it as outsourcing a piece of work and the same outsourcing be done using technology right so i think that has changed and because these are processes they are manual processes today not because they are simple and not valued right they are manual processes today because the systems that are present today can't handle the variation in the data and the format so that's why it's been outsourced to be processed manually now the notion of that changed with the pandemic so everybody is looking at obviously the concepts of digital twin and things like that already existed but now there is a serious push because it's not just about automating and reducing dependency on mundane human work it is also making sure it's done securely so you know nothing like automation because as long as you have secured a piece of code there are very limited chances that there is going to be a security issue with that so you know that's also another big reason for accelerating automation related areas in every enterprise so where does the digital twin aspect of this come into play and maybe you can just explain for people who don't understand i do but maybe you can explain for people what a digital twin is and how this dovetails with the conversation that we've been having so basically a digital twin is a very broad concept I and mean, depending on on the area where you apply it you sure. know it, it would mean different to different people but in the context of a uh, processing especially in a customer facing scenario right i mean there are certain set of activities that you may not need somebody to be physically answering this information whether it is a, a voice or whether it is email based correspondence right so right. 
that concept was slightly tricky. I mean, chat conversations have been managed pretty well by technology out there, but there has been always ambiguity on how do you handle different types of requests, right? Now, some amount of autonomous decision-making is required in these cases. And when you apply AI to it, right, whether it's machine learning, it is all predictive. It's a question of probability. So it became important. How do you bring in technologies like AI to make the decision and bring a human in the loop in certain cases to kind of accelerate that, confirm that decision. So workflow systems, operational systems all started integrating AI to a large extent, but with some human supervision, because a lot of these things cannot be still taken in an autonomous manner, right? So I wouldn't say there is a right answer to this. I mean, different industries, different use cases have seen adoption at different levels. Right. I think there is still a lot of work to do in this space. Very interesting. Sangeeta, do you have anything else to add to this? Otherwise, I'm just going to thank both of you for coming on and doing this. No, I think this is great. I think a digital twin concept, uh, I, I think it's in very early stages is getting evolved. I see mm. a lot of use cases in the healthcare and in the medical science businesses uh, where it is primarily going to probably see a leap ahead more than the operation side of things, but it's here to stay. Okay. That was awesome. Look, I want to thank both of you, Krishnan Subramanian, a co-founder and the president at Jiffy.ai and Sangeeta Algunan, the VP of Sales and Alliances for APAC at Jiffy.ai for coming on and doing this today. You were both awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.